take my call. He said, 
What was the first thing you learned when you were first in first grade in the Baltimore Catechism? And I thought, wow, I know what? God made me to know him, to love him, to serve him. But then the question came up, how does God here want us to love him? Could we give the answer together? You shall love the Lord your God with your how? whole heart, your whole soul, your whole mind. In other words, that's the song. You put your whole self in, you put your whole self out, you turn it all about, and you do the lulu pokey. You remember that? You put your whole self in the last lines of that song. is what he wants from you. He wants you to put your whole heart into this. Your whole mind and your whole soul. And if you give God everything, what do you think you get back in return? If you hold out, you're holding out not on him, on yourself. When you hold out, this is who you become. When you're full of repentance, and you recognize wrong is wrong, and love is love. A lot of this, as I told you, comes from wounds. This is very important. Anger is not the wound. I'll give you an example of recognizing the symptom, the disorder, and then going to the wound. You meet people in life who are very pleasing. In fact, they want to please everybody. Now that sounds so beautiful, right? They want to please everybody. Oh, what can I do for you? How can I help you? They want to please everyone. Pay attention. That can be a great disorder. What? Yes. Because maybe the root cause of their wanting to be so pleasing and loving and sweet and kind is that they're unloved. They're not in a happy marriage. They weren't loved at home. They weren't loved by their parents. So without love now, they're seeking for love. And so they think if they'll be pleasing to everybody they meet, knock themselves out for everybody they meet, they'll be appreciated, they'll be loved. But what happens? Do you know how many times, I couldn't count how many times I knocked myself out for somebody, and I didn't even get a thank you. Has it ever happened to you? Yes, of course, it happens to us all the time. And the worst ones are our kids, our children, your children. You do everything and you ask them for one thing and they look at you like, are you, are you from Mars? You want me to take out garbage? And then what happens? When you are motivated by the disorder and then you don't get gratitude, you don't get appreciated, you don't get love. You go deeper into depression. Then you go deeper into anxiety. Deeper into listlessness. There's no joy. All the joy in your life gets sapped out. And, and this is true. You know, you go to confession and sometimes you're confessing the same sin over and over. You're confessing the symptom. 
have to confess your sins. But that sin may be the symptom. And you say, I can never get rid of it. Why am I always impatient? Why am I always yelling and screaming? You have to dig and go in and look for the root cause. Now, that you do with the help of the Holy Spirit, that you do very simply every morning. What I do every morning, when I wake up, I have something like this right by my bedside, and I get up. I kiss the feet of Jesus. That's an act of humility. I kiss the feet of Jesus, and I say, Jesus, give me the gift, the gift of repentance. What's that? What does that mean, the gift of repentance? What should I be sorry for that I'm not even aware of? You'd be amazed the things we say and do and we don't even recognize that it's wrong. But sometimes we do. And that's called receiving the gift of repentance. Jesus' first words were repent and be saved. This gift that you ask for when you say Jesus, give me the gift of repentance. You want. It's yours. He's He's going to give it to you. Because he wants you to have it. But Jesus does not stuff things down our throat. You have to ask. Ask and the Father shall give it. Those are his words. But when we hear in the Bible saying, ask and you shall receive, seek and you shall find, we're thinking about worldly things. And Jesus is thinking about spiritual things. He wants you to ask for spiritual things. The gift of repentance. The second thing that I asked for, we talked about this, the prodigal son got it, gift. He came to his senses because he got the gift of self-knowledge. Who are you really in God's eyes? There's your true self and then that fake self. That true self is such a hard person to find. Because there's so many masks that we put on. Sometimes, what happens to us in looking to identify with the world and with people and be accepted, we assume an identity that it it, it takes skin. It's like a part of us. It's, It's amazing. I knew a woman who was so timid. She came into our community of Love Crucified. I'll tell you a little bit more about that tonight. And she started following the procedures that we outline in the book of how to find your true self. This woman was timid, was timid and afraid to speak because when she discovered the root cause of her timidity, the root cause of her inability to engage with people, she discovered that it stemmed from a mother's wound. She didn't have any say around the house. She was always being put down and told to shut up and listen. And so she grew into adulthood, womanhood, marriage, afraid to speak up. Afraid to assume her true identity. Today, you would not recognize that woman. 
because she worked at finding her true identity. She worked in discovering the root cause. You know, when you go to the dentist, if he's a good dentist, he'll tell you that root is, that tooth is bad. You need root canal. You need to go to an orthodontist who specializes in pulling out the root. Sometimes dentists say, well, I can do that. And then they do it and you're in pain because they didn't get the whole root out. So then they say, well, you know, I did, I did the best I can, but now you have to go to the orthodontist. There was an orthodontist who was a friend of mine. He said, all my business comes from the dentists who don't know what they're doing. He had to study for three more years to learn to pull out the root. But that teaches us a lesson, doesn't it? How difficult it is to get to the root that even a dentist has spent three more years to learn how to pull out the root of our teeth if it needs to be done. How many people have had root canal? Don't look at that, half of the congregation. So good, you know what I'm talking about. Now, it's not easy. And it's not going to happen in 12 weeks. This isn't a get-rich scheme. It's a get-whole scheme. The devil's, see, if he can't bother me, he bothers the microphone. I still work to sometimes get to the root cause. In fact, this is going to really astound you. I couldn't be up here talking to you about all these things if at the age of 77... I was, at that age, I was invited to be a member of this community that put out this book. You can get it on Amazon, but now that we've sold out here, I'll tell you the secret. You can get them for free by downloading them. When I had 50 books to sell, you didn't think I was going to tell you that, did you? Yeah. 50 books the first night. Now I'll tell you, you can download it for free. But it's great to have the book because this way you can underline it and you can look at it. And it's 20 bucks on Amazon. But you want it for free, take it for free. That's how I took it the first time. (laughs) So anyway, I was telling you the story of myself at 77. Every priest is supposed to be another Christ. What does that mean? Christ was the priest and Christ was the victim. This is how Christ lived out his victimhood. And we always say that when you go to Mass, the Mass is the unbloody sacrifice of Christ on the cross. So, the word victim though scares people if I say we should be all of us should be with Christ and and participate in his victimhood that would scare you because you would think of victimhood as being being given cancer being given some horrible disease All kinds of fear comes into our mind when we hear the word victim. And that is not the meaning that Christ wants us to have. He's told us so many times fear is useless. To be a victim with Christ is to suffer with love. Now, all of us, nobody gets through life without suffering. And the people who try to escape the suffering 
of their life in the wrong way are the ones who mess up their whole life. The prodigal son. He messed up his whole life. Sometimes we suffer at home. How many how many times in my 58 years of priesthood this coming June, I have had women tell me, Father, I only got married to get out of the house. I only got married to get out of the house. What's the result going to be? A lot of suffering. Especially when there's children. How many men fall, marry, and then start going their own way? Start getting indulged in their own pleasure and not living the married life of sacrifice. One caring about the other. Marriage is not about changing the other. It's about loving the other. I cannot make this story up. I can't make any of the stories up that I tell you because I I could be famous if I could make up stories like that. But one time... I was in a New York City restaurant and I was by myself just grabbing something to eat. And there were four women in New York City, maybe in their late 20s and 30s. And so, of course I was eavesdropping. (laughs) Especially when the one woman said to the others at the table, My husband and I have an agreement. We made it when we got married. If the other one gains weight, then that's cause for divorce. (laughs) There wouldn't be many marriages left in this town. But she was serious. This wasn't some joke she was telling. the idea to which they went to marriage. Marriage is beautiful when you love one another without trying to change one another and weigh one another. Don't tell your husband he has to lose weight because he'll just eat more in anger. You can't change him that way. But I'm going to give you the secret who you can change. You can change yourself. You can change everything around you by suffering it with Jesus. There's a great devotion here in this parish I noticed to St. Teresa of Lisieux. And do you know what her famous motto was? St. Teresa of Lisieux said, To suffer is to love. Does that mean you should go out and look for suffering? No, you don't have to go out looking for suffering. It finds you. But the suffering I'm talking about, the victimhood that I'm talking about, is in the little things of your life. Not big things. The little things. For example, how do I live my victimhood? I go into a store and the clerk is miserable and angry and maybe she doesn't like priests and she starts taking it out on me. Now, normally people would just put her in her place, tell her off, say, I'm... You know, I'm the customer, you should be taking care of me. But, Jesus now is giving me an opportunity to suffer what he suffers with her. Because that woman, having that disposition, 
also causes Jesus to suffer. And so now, instead of reacting and letting her making me upset and angry, I start being trying to have the face of Jesus and showing her patience and love and trying to go where she's at. This is what we need to do in life. When we meet miserable people, when we live with them, we need to go where they're at, not change them, because we're not going to. But when we go where they're at and respond with love, beautiful things happen. There was another woman in our community who told us the story. I mean, I'm not giving you names, and you'd never know her name. She didn't belong to the community, but she came to the community to, to be helped with that, following the steps of that book. She wanted to learn to love those most difficult to love. And her husband was in an adulterous relationship. He was a salesman, he's going on a trip, and he committed adultery, and she knew it. So, she had three small children. So, the question is, she can't change him. He won't change. He tells her, if you want to leave, leave. If she leaves, the three kids are going to be devastated. They love their father. They don't know about the adulterous relationship, and she would, she would never tell them. She's not a horrible mother. She's a good, loving mother. So, she suffers it. But now... Here's the key. She suffers it with love by uniting it to the sufferings of Jesus. She meditates on the passion of Jesus. She meditates on how many people hurt him. How many people rejected him. How many people abused him. How many people work together to crucify him. So she takes that suffering pain of being betrayed by her husband. He was betrayed. She takes that pain and she unites it. Unites it with Christ's sufferings on the cross. That is the secret word. Unite. To join together. His suffering with your suffering. When you do that, he suffered for this reason. He suffered for the salvation of the world. And so, that's how I can talk tonight to you about the power the power of the cross. By his blood, all of us have been redeemed by the shedding of his blood. We have to become one with the victim in our everyday sufferings. We have to learn to love those most difficult to love. That woman was determined to do that. And so, when her husband came home, even though she knew he had been in an adulterous relationship, she treated him with love, patience, kindness, and respect. She was as loving as she could be. Not fake love, but the Jesus kind of love. The love that made Jesus say to the adultery, a woman caught in adultery, he who is out sin, cast the first stone. The love that made him say from the cross, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. That's how she loved her husband, forgiving him, for he knew not what he did to her, how he was destroying her. In six months, 
finally came home from one of his trips and he said I'm going to go to confession he says I've had it he said how stupid I've been he said I have the most perfect loving patient wife you put up with all my sinfulness you put up with all my misery all my all my dysfunction he said I'm going to do everything to learn how to love you alone that's the power that comes from the cross when you are united to his sufferings I'm not making this up it's in the Bible St. Paul tells us this St. Paul talks over and over in his letters about the power of the cross about suffering with Christ if you've read the letters of St. Paul you've read it all the early martyrs they were why could they go and be martyred because they said we're going to suffer with Christ martyrdom that's the red martyrdom when you have to be put to death but there's another martyrdom and it's the one that all of us have in our everyday lives it's the martyrdom of loving the ones most difficult to love it's amazing people who who start doing this they come and they say Father I can't believe the change it doesn't happen instantaneously but love destroys hate love is stronger than any weapon than any anything there's nothing stronger than love you know that and that's why love united to his love becomes the power of healing others how many of you are suffering because members of your family have left the church have left God they don't even recognize his existence and that caused you such a suffering and you want to put a guilt trip on yourself and so you say father what more could I have done I sent him to catechism he was confirmed blah 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 all the whole things no there isn't anything else you could do the prodigal son came alive the rebellion came led him off to the desert to different places but nothing you can do to change him but when you suffer that disappointment that heartache of losing a son a walking away from God a daughter living in, in promiscuity when you suffer that with Christ he suffers it with you and you know if you don't suffer it with Christ he's still suffering it right Christ suffers when he sees us sin in his humanity that's why the blessed mother when she appears how many times she appears with tears because she's crying and saying my children my children come back to me so all of this can be found also on our website of Love Crucified there are talks that you can hear on various subjects even if you have an addiction to pornography there's help there even if you have an addiction to gambling or whatever your addiction to alcoholism there is help because that is what Jesus wants to do he wants to reach out to everybody who is struggling and suffering and bring them into the Father's arms to 
tomorrow. You know, I'm not going to wait until the end to throw out the uh, turkey bone. I'm going to give you the turkey bone now for tomorrow so that I'll lure you all back here. The turkey bone for tomorrow is that I have with me, and I'm bringing it tomorrow, a first-class relic, a piece of the bone of Sister Faustina, who Jesus appeared to and asked that this be painted. That relic that I have had a great miracle happen. I'm going to tell you the miracle, and it's going to remove your fear of death. If you have any fear of death or dying, you will not have it after you hear this this story of this miracle. And because people tell me that all the time. They say, Father, I used to be so afraid to die. Now I'm not. So not only are you going to hear about the miracle that happened with that relic, I'm not going to tell you about others, but I will allow each one of you, after the mission is over, to venerate the relic. If you have a pain somewhere, you can touch it to your pain, and you can hold it, all of you who want to, after the mission is over tomorrow night. So I hope that you will invite others again to come tomorrow night because tomorrow night is when I'm going to try to bring you into the knowledge of the fullness of his love for you. You know, this is such a stumbling block to us. The love of God the Father for us. How many and I was certainly in that that uh, number used to think with Jesus it's good better, best and if I'm good I'm this close to Jesus if I'm better I get a little closer if I'm best then I'm right here but I'm still not up I'll never be best enough to be with Jesus. I can be near him, but I'm never best enough to be with him and in him. And that's the lie of Satan. It's a lie. It's a lie. It's a lie. It's a lie. This loving father, this loving father, doesn't do good, better, best. He does sin, sinner, bigger sinner. That's what we can't believe. That's where the elder son lurks in you. You say, oh, well, maybe I'll get to purgatory. Forget purgatory and forget hell. God doesn't want you in either one of those places. God wants you in his heart. Why do you think he gave us the sacred heart of Jesus? Why do you think that he tells us that he had the others next to him had their legs broken, but Jesus had his heart pierced? So that blood and water, these two rays, could flow from it to bring you forgiveness, love, and mercy. He's yearning to embrace you. He's yearning to have every part of you. The part that's bad, he'll hold that part more tightly. He doesn't do what we do. I'm always feeling so guilty because in Miami there's a lot of beggars on the street. Sometimes I want to pull back. I'm afraid to approach them or be near them. Jesus would never do that. And I've had to learn to overcome that. 
was very cold and I had a new sweater and I love my new sweater and I wore it that day with I sorry <laughs> Jesus made me give it to him <laughs> I, I lost the reward by telling you but I'm trying to to tell you that this is what Jesus would do so I had to do it I started to tell you at 77 that I came into Love Crucified. The website is www.lovecrucified. That's easy enough to remember because this is Love Crucified. Right? Jesus is Love Crucified. So www is Love Crucified. And the book that we promote is called The Simple Path to Union. The purpose of our community and it's all lay people. There's only two priests in it. The purpose of our community is we have discussions once a week, but it's to live our lives in victimhood so that we can pray for the holiness of priests. That's the number one goal. Priests need to be prayed for. You know the state of the world, the state of the church. And Jesus is waiting for us, the remnant. See, Jesus, we wait for Jesus to do something big. And Jesus says, no, when I do something, I do something big with someone small. When the Blessed Mother appeared at Lourdes, she didn't appear to a theologian. She didn't appear to a learned nun. She appeared to a simple, humble, little Pyrenees girl living in the mountains. Going out looking for wood, she appeared to Bernadette. You know the story. We all know the story. Three children were in Portugal. They were playing games. Tending sheep. They weren't even in school. Because they were poor, they had to tend the sheep. The Blessed Mother appears to them at Fatima. What has Lourdes done for the world? How many healings? How many conversions? What has Fatima done for the world? By those who heeded the message. How many popes have talked about Fatima? Three small children, one peasant girl, caught the attention of the Mother of God. So in our littleness, as a little community, being victim souls, praying for the holiness of priests, we don't hope. We know we will change the world. We know we will bring sanctity to priests. We know it. Started to tell you that I came into the community in 77. Not easily. I knew about it five years before, but I kept pushing away from it. Why? Because I didn't like the idea of meetings on Skype, I didn't like the idea of the word victimhood. Thank God he brought me into it finally. And this is the result. After I learned how to love and unite my sufferings with the sufferings of Christ, after I got all that knowledge together and started living it out in my small daily life, something happened in my life. It can happen in everybody's life. Especially at 77. You know, I'm living longer than the average age of a man. So at 77, what happened? I got a rare skin disease called Bulis it took me months to learn to spell it. The worst part about the disease 
is not how it sounds. One in ten or twenty million men get it at, at the at that age. They say I was the lucky one. So the worst part about the disease was no one could detect it because it's, it's so uncommon, and that's how you can suffer it and never have it healed. So, I went around from doctor to this one to that one, and they were all putting me on different medications. One of them cost me $300. It's a wonder they didn't kill me. Because they didn't diagnose it. Finally, the Holy Spirit led me to John Hopkins. And there the doctor diagnosed it. He told me which doctor in Miami could treat it. And now here's the rest of the story that's so beautiful. During the time I suffered with Bulis Pemphigoid, I saw a wonderful occasion of suffering and with love uniting it to Jesus Christ crucified. So every day I began doing that. I said, thank you, Jesus. Now I can suffer with you on the cross. You've given me this disease. The nurses that had to come to see me to change the wounds, every one of them said to me, you're the only patient that we have that smiles and laughs and doesn't complain about this illness. Two people who came to see me in the course of my five years of having Bulis Pemphigoid came back to the church because I would tell them how come I didn't complain how come I could suffer it after five years the doctor said you, you don't have to see me anymore you're totally healed it happens they tell you it happens but not to everyone so last week before I came here I'm reading about a millionaire famous somebody famous in Hollywood who was 77 years old and committed suicide and his wife said he committed suicide because he was so despondent suffering with Beulah's Pemphigoy. It was the first time in my life I had ever seen that disease named in the paper. He killed himself. He committed suicide. He didn't know about the power of suffering with Christ. He didn't know about love. Suffering with love. And so, when you don't suffer with love, you suffer. Who do you? When you don't suffer with love, united to Jesus on the cross, when you don't do that, try to guess who is it you suffer with if you don't suffer with Jesus united to the cross in your suffering. You suffer with Satan. You never suffer alone. You choose. Whoever, whatever you're suffering, whatever your cross in life, you don't live it alone. You either suffer it with him, with love, or with Satan. And how can you tell the people that suffer it with Satan? The ones who despair. The ones who curse all the time. The ones who complain, the ones who are bitter and so hateful. Why me? That's the devil's famous line. Why me? How could God do this to me? How could we do this to God? That's what I say. We were put on this earth 
for a short time. We're here like tourists. In my father's house, there are many mansions. He has a place prepared for us, but before we get there, he wants us to suffer with love. He wants us to identify with these wounds. The Bible tells us, by his wounds, you have been healed. Do you remember when he appeared to the apostles, Thomas wasn't there? And then when Thomas did show up, Jesus shows up, and Thomas goes, my Lord and my God. Jesus says, come here, Thomas. Put your hand in my wounds. Why did Thomas have to put his hand in his wounds? Why did Thomas have to touch his wounds that he appeared with? Because he needed to unite Thomas to his sufferings on the cross so that Thomas could be given through the power of the cross the gift of faith. The gift of love. And the gift of being a saint. Otherwise, he was a worthless apostle if he didn't enter into touching the wounds of Christ. What did Peter do before the crucifixion? The Bible tells us that when they arrested Jesus, Peter then later snuck up and followed at a distance. He didn't say, here I am, Christ, I'm right beside you. He was cowardly. Our first pope was a coward. And he, and that's why Jesus chose him. Jesus chose him because he wanted the first pope to be human and weak and a sinner. So that he could say, it's not Peter's church. It's my church. I founded it. I made Peter the head of it. So Peter later goes by the fire, denies him three times. I don't know him. The third time he starts cursing to be making it emphatic. I do not know the man. That's what we do when we suffer alone. We as much as say, I don't know him. I don't know that Christ is on the cross suffering for me. He doesn't want my suffering. That's the lie that Satan tells you. He wants your whole self, your whole being. He loves you so very much. I I can't even describe God's love because there, there are no words. There are so many people who are feeling unloved. It's not his fault. The Father, God the Father, loves us so much, he sent his son to die like this. I mean, that's God's love. That's God the Father's love. And that his love is that he was willing to do it. And the only purpose he came here on earth, not only to die for us, but to let us know about the love that he has for us. And we keep looking for love, like the song goes, looking for love in all the wrong places. That's a good song, because here's the only place you're going to find it. The other song that is the devil's favorite, you know, the devil has some favorite songs. I'm going to tell you the number one hit song on the devil's hit parade. I did it my way. My funeral, I wanted to sing, He did it his way. My way is the highway that leads to hell. His way is the way that leads to Calvary, that takes us to the journey, that brings us to heaven. I, I end tonight by saying, 
The choice is yours. You vote tonight with yourself. You want to do it my way, his way. If you want to do it his way, put that cross next to your bedside and work on it tomorrow. Start getting the information on the website so that you can discover the root cause of the wounds. Then you bring the wounds to Jesus. And you have, you know, a lot of people can't do this. And I'll tell you why. They get stuck. It's important I tell you where they get stuck. They get stuck because when they just start to go back with the gift of the Holy Spirit bringing them back to the root cause of the woundedness of their life, it becomes very painful. If, if you weren't loved at home, if you were an orphan, that's something that you suffer. And if you were abandoned, that's horrible suffering. Do you want to go back and suffer that again? Yes, that's what you have to do. You have to find out the root cause of your disorder. It doesn't mean because you're adopted that that's going to cause you a suffering. But it depends upon who adopted you. If you were adopted into a family, and I heard this two days ago from a woman who's involved with adoption, she told me the majority of these kids that go into foster care and adopted are ending up being abused. She said the system is so corrupt and so horrible. Imagine how wounded they are. So for them to go to that wound is very painful. And they have to cry. You have to cry. You know, I saw Father Stephen had about 20-some boxes of these of this Kleenex here that I brought up and because I had a little sinus and it's marked for funerals people don't even cry at funerals somehow we have forgotten that tears are healing the other night people were walking out there trying to hide their tears if you feel like crying You let it pour like Niagara Falls. Because tears are healing. And when you get to the root cause of your woundedness, the pain of knowing it, seeing it again, is going to bring, hopefully, tears to you. There's tears of sorrow and there's tears of joy. And healing brings us tears of relief and joy. So never hold back tears. And and there's not enough tears being shed today. What are people doing instead of crying? They're acting out in anger and bitterness. Finally, the last thing I'll tell you. Because I'm so ancient and old, and because I love elephants, I have a memory like an elephant. This might astound you. There was never shootings in school. As I was growing up, when did shootings start in school? After abortion was made the law in the United States of America. After that, after 1973, I believe, Is that right? 73? The abortion law came into the United States. Then, after that, a shooting. Another shooting. And then the shootings in the mall, and the shootings in the school, and the shootings in the trains. Is God punishing us? Absolutely not. That's another lie from Satan. Did God punish either one of these for their attitude or for their life? 
God is not a punishing God. He reserves punishment for hell. And he only, the people that go to hell are only the people that want to go there. He told Faustina, he told that to Faustina. He said, this is my last chance that that people have to learn about my mercy and love. Because he said, if they don't zero in on my love for them, he said, they're going to have to face my justice. Because when we don't love God, who do we love? The world. The world. church, I don't get anything out of it. So I go golfing, I go do this, I sleep in. You see, it's all about me. What's in it for me? And Jesus says, no, you need to make it about him so that the love of God can pour into you. The more selfish they are, whoever they are in your family, the more selfish they are, the more unloved they feel. And it's not your fault. Because that selfishness is the levy that blocks the love of God from coming into their life. That selfishness has to be rooted out That's why you have these beautiful stations of the cross on the windows. Why why are they there? What did Jesus say? Come, follow me. So we follow him to Calvary. That's the only simple path that we have that brings us into love. Is there any love in Hollywood? If you watch what goes on in Hollywood, there isn't two weeks that doesn't go by that someone commits suicide. Someone is get put into a mental hospital, recovery hospital. Someone is caught up in addiction and drugs. There's no pleasure in those things. So why did they go there? Because they were seeking love. And when they were on empty, they sought to exchange their emptiness for drugs to block out the feeling of being unloved. We go to those things to block out our senses and our feelings. That's the reason we go to them. When we know God and we know how much he loves us and we're hurting, we go to him. We give him the hurt, the pain, we're united and something beautiful happens. He puts love where we were hurting. When I had Beospethalcoid, I never felt the pain. The doctor would ask, what about the pain? I said, there is none. He, he would shake his head. The nurses would look at me. There can be no pain when love, when God's love is there. Because God's love is greater than the pain. Of course there's pain. But you don't concentrate on it. You concentrate on the loving. It's so beautiful to be in love with God. It's so beautiful to know about his love for you. Tomorrow night, we'll conclude with a big love fest. When when I talk to you about divine mercy, and I bring you the relic, it's going to do so much to bring healing into your woundedness and to bring you a deeper, deeper, deeper gift of his love. That's why he put me here. 
He said, there are good people in Lowly. They love God. I can see the love of God in your faces. That's why I've enjoyed talking to you immensely. Believe me. I'm so glad, so grateful that the Holy Spirit brought me here. And as I told you before, he did it not for me, not for you. He did it because he loves Father Stephen much more than you. You love him, but God really loves him. And because of God's love for him, he wanted to do something beautiful for your parish. And so he said, I need that microphone over here. And I said, okay, Lord, here I am. Everything I've said to you has come from the Holy Spirit through me to you. I haven't made up anything. I've only given you what I've received. God bless you tonight. We're going to leave the Blessed Sacrament there so you can have an exchange of love with Jesus. If I, I've, I have a priest in France who told me this. I want to leave you laughing. The sign that the priest had on his door in, Fran- in French in France said if you want to please shut off your cell phones before you come into the church because if you want to communicate with God come into the church and talk to God with your cell phones off the rest of the message said God if you want to because the message said because God doesn't call you on your cell phone okay but then it's the message then the rest of the note said but if you want to see God text while driving You can stay and pray as long as you want.